Well, last time, if we did the, the first half of Romans 5, and uh, I sent you home with, with two items of homework. One was the, the case study from Timothy Keller, and then the other was just the preparing for this, uh, this lesson. So how did the case study go? Don't have to share what you learned, but, but was it beneficial to you? Was it something that you were able to learn something about yourself? Or, or did you learn something that you can work on for the future? Well, if you forgot, that's okay too, because you've got you've got all of all of Christmas to catch up and and do it. So, and there there are some extras over here if if you need if you weren't here last week. Um. And then how did your study of Romans 5, 12 through 21 go? Did anything stand out to you? Uh, how did you feel God was leading you through this passage? Did did anyone look at or mark how many times the word one is used in this passage? No, no but it was one of my keywords. Yeah, <laughs> I counted thirteen times. So, but I may have I may have counted one twice. But thirteen times in ten verses—that's a lot of rep repetition, right? So this is showing us that we identify with both Adam and with Jesus. That that word one. Um, what about the word rain? It's used five times in this passage, and and we see in the passage that both Adam and Jesus reigned over a different kingdom. Um, and then, then there's the contrasts between Adam and Christ. If you didn't take a look at those contrasts, um, then, then do that between now and January. Take, take a few minutes to do that. Um, there's a chart, I think it's on page 55 in your book, if I'm remembering correctly, that that is um that sort of gives you what you learn about your position in adam and your position in christ that is is some of that contrast um as well and so i was really struck by two particular things in this passage and those are the two things that we're going to share today or i'm going to share today so um as I've shared before, 
as you all know, I have three kids. Andrew is 15, Catherine is 13, and Abby is nine. And when you have more than one kid, there always seems to be one that is the fairness police, right? I see the smiles. I know many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. He or she keeps track of when the oldest got to do something and makes sure that, that he or she gets to do it at the same time, the same age. Um, or the one that, that she, she'll figure out how long the chore list is for each child, that how long the, they should take in minutes to make sure that she's not doing more than the others, right? You get the idea. Um, so I've learned instead of saying things like, you can watch that when you turn 13, or you can have a particular social media account when you get to high school, it's... it's um, you can watch that when you have shown us you can handle the content. Mm -hmm. Or you'll be able to have another form of social media when we see you can handle the negatives of the one that you already have. You know, it gives us as parents the ability to do the right thing, and in many cases, the best thing for each of our children based on them and their personalities, their mental and emotional state, rather than just picking an age. My fairness police child has a harder time with this seemingly moving target. But in reality, there are things that, that Andrew, as the oldest, may have had to wait longer for than the, than the girls will because we see that they may be more mature in one area than he is. Um, so just like we work through our kids' academic needs separately instead of a one-size-fits-all approach, we have to approach approach it in fairness that it does not always look fair on the surface. You know, if a child is prone to nightmares, then that child needs to not watch a scary movie no matter what age they are or whether their siblings have already seen it or not. We had one who would be scared of Scooby-Doo if they watched it late at night. They didn't get to watch Scooby-Doo late at night. They could watch it during the day. The other two could watch it late at night if they wanted to. Late at night being like 7 o'clock, because that's late in our house. <laughs> now you're probably thinking, what does being fair have to do with Romans 5? Um, so we're going to find out. I gave somebody Romans 5, 12 through 14. So here Paul is saying that sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and that sin came to all men through Adam, and so death came to all men. And so we're going to take a look back at, at Adam's sin. Um, I gave somebody Genesis 2, 15 through 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. 
for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So why did God put Adam in the garden? What was, what was he supposed to do? Take care of it. He was supposed to, to, to work and keep the garden. And in Genesis 3, which we'll see in a few minutes, we see that prior to the fall, there were no thorns or thistles. We see the work for food becomes much harder. This is in verses 17 through 19 of, of chapter 3. So this work that, that Adam was, was initially told to, to do, that he was, that he was um, he, it wouldn't have really been hard work. There still would have been planting and harvesting, but the tending of the garden would have been much easier. But then God gave Adam one command. And what was that one, one command that God gave to Adam? Yeah, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what was the consequence? Death. Yeah, death. You will surely die. This statement was the extent of the law of God at that time. That was all there was to it. One command, one consequence. Very straightforward. But as we all know, just a few verses later, in Genesis 3, we see what, what is termed the fall. And so um, I guess it's Elizabeth has verse, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. <clears throat> you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So who was the tempter here? Satan. The, the, the serpent through, through, with, with Satan. And whom did, the sa whom did the serpent approach? Eve. Right. Approached the woman, and then the woman ate, and what did she do? She gave it to Adam. Now, here's where some people would argue that it's wrong to blame Adam for the sin. The woman is the one that succumbed to temptation, Right. The woman was the one talking to the serpent. The woman is the one that agreed to eat it. She's the one that gave it to Adam. And maybe he didn't even know what had happened or where the fruit came from, right? But if you read in verse 6, it said she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Who was with her, right? So first, he ate it. She didn't force it down his throat. He ate it on his own. But he was with her. He saw the whole thing go down, and he didn't try to stop her. Adam is just as responsible as Eve in all of this. They together broke the one law that God had laid out for them. 
Um, and then Genesis 3, 8 through... Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. And, and Adam's the one that was given the command before Eve even existed, um, before she was created. And so that's just another level of it, the responsibility falling to Adam. Um, and, and as we will see, as we continue him being the representative, it was it was because of him that yeah yeah then genesis 3 8 through 13 and they heard the sound of the lord god walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the lord god among the trees of the garden but the lord god called to the man and said to him where are you and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I So they hear God walking in the garden. Just take a pause for a moment because that right there, just, just picture it, right? They're in this garden, this garden that has no weeds, right? Perfect garden in close relationship with God right there this wasn't an out of the ordinary thing this was an everyday normal god walking through the garden and them being right there with him they had a close relationship with god and literally walked with him daily in the garden that verse has me in awe every time i read it but now they hid from something they had done every single day. They were now afraid of God. Something had come between that perfect relationship. If you go on and you read more of Genesis 3, you will see that each participant is given a particular punishment. If you read the Advent devotion for today, it's actually the serpent's punishment, I think, is the one that's that's given Um, but as much as I joke about thanking Adam and Eve for laundry and weeds their worst part of their punishment is in verse 23 it says therefore the Lord God sent them out from the garden of Eden the fall caused the separation from the perfect relationship with God but back to Romans 5 In verse 12, it gives us a three-part statement. Sin came through Adam. Death came through sin. Death came to all because all sinned. Death came during the time between Adam and Moses. 
Moses is the one that wrote down the law. He was given the law by God. He's the one that wrote it down. He's the one that shared it with the nation of Israel. But if you look at Genesis 5, we still see death happening. For each of the people listed, the, the verses end with the words, and he died. Death reigned even with no stated law to break. So remember, the only law was about eating from that tree. The garden was, was no longer accessible. They no longer had a, a stated law. And so the, the idea today, um, in, in our society today, the idea of death coming to everyone because of the actions of one man just seems ridiculous. We see humanity as individual autonomous units. We don't want someone to represent us. We want to do it ourselves. For some of us in this room that have taken on our own role of being the fairness police, we have a question. Was it fair that God punished all of us for the disobedience of one man? We had no say in picking Adam to be our representative. So how is that fair, right? But the answer is it absolutely was fair. And not only was it fair, but it actually shows the grace of God. And this is the part that, that really struck me this week. Because we've seen and heard lessons that the reality of, and we've seen the reality in our own lives that if we had been in Adam's place, we would have done the exact same thing. We too would have fallen short and disobeyed God. And the result of sin and death would have been the same for each and every one of us if God had put each of us to the same exact test. And the other thing about it is God didn't just choose Adam randomly as our representative. Adam was created specifically to be our representative. He was the only one. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, so that, that whole thing, that makes it fair, right? Why would, it, why would I say it makes it gracious? That makes it just an act of grace. And this was the part that I, I knew before, but I hadn't really stopped and thought about. And this is why I absolutely love this method of studying the Bible, because it really lets the Holy Spirit lead you to something that, that you need to read and learn that may be different from everyone else in a, in a group or everyone else in a church when it's being preached. Um, so here was the kicker for me. By condemning the world through one man, that one representative through Adam, God could also save the world through one man that one representative that was Jesus. God knew that for our salvation to be possible, we could not do it ourselves and we needed a representative to save us. We needed Jesus and God needed a way to make that possible because we would have no defense at all if we had to represent ourselves at the throne of God. And so the fact 
that we had one representative who led us to death allowed us to have one representative to lead us to life. If you do a study of the fallen angels, you'll see that they were each responsible for themselves and none of them were able to get back into God's good graces. It, that's where we would have been uh, if, if we hadn't had one representative on both sides. So if you're interested, the, uh, the theology you know, name, this is known as the Doctrine of Federal Headship. Not that it really matters, but now you know that's, that's <laughs> what it is, right? Um, and so, so that's Romans 5, 12 through 14. And then Romans 5, 15 through 18, which we're not actually going to read, that compares and contrasts Adam and Jesus. And this is something that if you haven't looked at, it, it'll be good to take a look. Um, and, and you have extra weeks to take a, a few minutes to do that and just see the difference between the trespass and the free gift and the, the difference in, in what they reigned over. Um, but then the second thing in this passage that, that struck me was in the last little chunk. And so Romans 5, 18 through 21. So if you go through and you read that really quickly, there's a whole lot in there that can get overwhelming. It's, it's a, a lot of information. Um, and, and part of that's just the way that Paul writes. But that's why we need to slow down. We need to observe the text and dig deep rather than just reading it. And so here was the key for me, because verse 19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Whenever I think about salvation, I think about the punishment being paid by Jesus. He died on the cross so that I didn't have to. I think about the forgiveness of my sins because that consequence has been paid. What I don't always think about is that second part, that we are made righteous. Jesus didn't just remove the penalty or take our penalty for disobedience. Adam's sin made us sinners. And Jesus' righteousness 
is what made us righteous. It wasn't the payment of the penalty that made us righteous. It was the actions of our Savior. He didn't just pay the price. He gave us the reward for his obedience. Timothy Keller says, While Adam was told he would enjoy blessing if he obeyed God and yet chose to disobey, that's the passages in Genesis that we read, the second Adam, that's Jesus, knew he would face agony and death if he obeyed, and yet he resolutely walked in obedience to his Father. At the cross, grace overwhelms sin and life triumphs over death. The first Adam is not the last word for humanity. The second Adam, the perfectly obedient federal head is. There is no hope at all without him, and there is certain hope with him and in him. And so this is a, um, a fitting place and a fitting time to end our, our semester of study. We are in the beginning of the Christmas season where we're about to celebrate the birth of Christ. Uh, if you're joining us in our Advent journey with the church, um, you, if you haven't picked up a copy of the devotion book there at the Welcome Center, or if you follow the Facebook page, you can see what the passage is for the day each day. But um, we don't just walk through, we won't just walk through the birth story. It's not just the Christmas story that we're doing in this Advent devotional. We're doing the whole life and death of Jesus. Now, obviously it's not an exhaustive like whole thing, but we hit some of the highlights throughout this, this devotion because his whole life was lived for us. That active obedience is why we are made righteous and why we are rewarded with the blessing that Christmas brings us. And so um, we, we need to talk about our theme for all of chapter 5. So any ideas for theme that you might have? Peace and joy. Peace and joy. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, that that first chunk was was really what we talked about was those blessings that come from justification, right? And then this one was was dealing with why we're justified and in, in, in reality it was the it was the why. So Yeah. Yeah. Sin, sin plus death equals life. Yeah. Well, next week is our Christmas celebration, and so we will not have Romans to talk through. Um, and then we will meet again on, I, 
I wrote down January 11th, so I'm hoping that's the the right day because I don't have a calendar in front of me. But um, we will meet again on on January 11th, I believe. 